morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to worship today. I'm Don Ashburn. I'm so happy that you're here today to join us in worship on Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter, when we remember the day when all the disciples were gathered together in one place in Jerusalem. And as they gathered, the Holy Spirit of God came upon them and touched them with flames of fire, as the Bible tells us, but allowed them to speak together with one voice in all the languages of the world to share the gospel. And so Pentecost is our celebration of that. The red that you see around you is a remembrance of the flames of fire, the tongues of fire that were upon the people. And so also today we are celebrating with a special kind of music, with string bands playing Americana music. And so I want to invite all of us to prepare our hearts and minds to worship God now as we listen to the prelude.
ding dong and ask you all to stand. In case you're wondering why I said that, it says church bell in the bulletin anyway. Let's join together now in the call to worship that is in the bulletin. Come Holy Spirit, come here now to your people. Come, Holy Spirit, come here now and enliven our spirits as we join in songs of joy and praise. Come, Holy Spirit, come now and show us your way and will. Come, Holy Spirit, come and lift our hearts, our spirits, so that our lives will help renew and redeem all the earth. So we invite you to join in on our opening hymn, Take Your Burden to the Lord and Leave It There.
So if you feel a big gust of wind come through here, that is the Holy Spirit coming through here today. And so give thanks to God. Give praise to God. Let's pray. Holy God, by your Spirit, be with us now and guide us and give us a sense of your presence. And not just a sense of your presence, the power of your presence as well. That we might take the gospel good news that we are loved and that all of your children, all of this creation is loved beyond measure. For you are a God of love. And so fill us with that sense today. Help us to live it out in acts of kindness and love and service. Let us live into the life that Jesus Christ has given us through his death and resurrection, through his life, his eternal life, that he gives to us by your Holy Spirit. And by by your Spirit, meet us now as we enter a time of silent prayer. And from out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. And let's pray together the prayer of preparation and confession printed here in the bulletin. Spirit of God, you come to us as a powerful wind, but we have shut the door and bolted it to try to keep you out. You descend on us as tongues of fire, but we run away, afraid of being consumed. You give us gifts beyond our ability, but we squander them, we hide them. We say not today, or how can one person make a difference, or no, Lord, not me. This day of Pentecost, forgive our feebleness, break open the doors of resistance, Let the fire of your spirit dance within each of us and give us courage and faith to claim your call for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, whether or not you came in here today with courage and faith, God is here with you and God loves you no matter where you are in life. God has brought you here today for a purpose and one one of those reasons you're here today is to hear the good news that in Jesus Christ you are forgiven, you are accepted, loved, set free to be the person you were created to be. So receive that good news. Be assured that it's true. Pass it on and be at peace. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. Those of you that are on the inside aisle, if you'll see right in front of you is a pew pad. If you'll take that out, sign yourself in, pass it on down. If you're visiting with us today, a special welcome. We're so glad to have you here. There's a place on the pad where you can give us your contact information. And there's also cards in the pews for any prayer requests that you might have. If you turn to the color page in your bulletin, those are our announcement highlights here. Uh, today, following this service, is the annual meeting. In fact, at the very end of the service, we will call it into, be, into effect and then go over and have lunch uh, in the Guild Hall and the meeting over there. You'll notice that uh, there are still some parties available. The pickup parties are events in which you can pay for them, and then all the money goes to our various mission opportunities and projects. Uh, there will be a table outside, and the, t- the parties are listed there. You can still sign up to purchase some of these parties uh, as well. There's an opportunity for service at the Hope Cafe, uh, which is a homeless shelter and a soup kitchen in Oakland. Um, and also today, we are delighted to have a guest speaker. Donna Somerville is here from Grateful Gathering. So Donna, would you come forward and uh, share with us this morning? 
morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to stand in front of you and thank you all personally for your support of Grateful Gatherings and for partnering with us, for your pastors understanding and supporting what we do and your mission people. Um, Grateful Gatherings is an organization that um, kind of steps in when homeless families who have come from shelters, come from the street, come from couch surfing, um, finally get a place. And um, 99% of the time when they get that place, it's empty. So um, they're lucky if they have blow-up mattresses. They usually sleep on the floor. They eat on the floor. They have no light. Um, And during this time, of course, the parents are expected to work and do well at their job. The kids are expected to go to school. Um, And it's, um, it's a very difficult transition to make. And they usually would have to save months and months and months and months to buy the crock pot that they need or the dresser that they need or that sort of thing. So what we do is we come in and we completely furnish and get them everything they need um, to be able to have a home. And a home is so much more than just furniture. Um, We've heard from our families about how um, once we've come in and set up their home, how they now feel like they they have dignity, how they feel like they're actually part of society like everyone else because they come home and they have a place that they can call their own, a place of refuge. Um, a place to grow as a family, a uh, place to have dinners. Um, when they come and see their place after we've done it, oftentimes the tears are um, about seeing a bed to get a good night's sleep, seeing a table to be able to have family dinners. Um, one mom said it would be the first time her kids would ever do homework on a flat surface. Um, and um, sometimes these kids, one, one mom had a kid who was having back problems because she slept on the floor for so long. Um, and that mom actually told us that her daughter asked her, asked her one night, um, when would she be able to have a bed? Like she dreamed of having a bed. And after we set up their home and gave them a place, she said, now she can dream big. Now she can dream for things for her life, not for a bed. So um, we feel really grateful to be able to do this. Um, it is a God mission for sure. I think about what we just read in the bulletin. And um, I got that call on my heart from God after I had met a homeless family Um, having adopted them for Christmas, and then they got their place, and I very foolishly said to them, so what can I get you, thinking, you know, a blender, you know, something like that, and she said, well, what do you mean, and I said, well, what do you have, and she said, nothing, and um, so we were able to help them just through friends, and God put it on my heart that we could do it in a bigger way, and I kind of was saying, are you sure, God, (laughs) I'm not so sure about this, I didn't really set out to, you know, start a nonprofit, but he also, um, he also, you know, when he asks you to do something, he comes alongside of you. So it's amazing the things that God has uh, moved in order for us to be able to do this. Um, the way it works is basically we connect with these families through homeless shelters and agencies. We go to their house. We make a list of everything that they need. Um, then we send it out to our email list of we have over 3,500 people that they read the story of the family. They see the list of their needs. They check off what they might be able to donate. And um, then on our gathering day, they drop it off volunteers organize it, put it in a truck, and then another set of volunteers comes to the house, and and in about two and a half to three hours, we basically change their life. We ask them to leave, so it's a surprise when they come back, and um, it is, it's just such a thrill to be able to see mom's faces, our complete relief. It's like their kids have what they need, the family can now grow, and, um, and your dollars that you share with us in partnership with us goes directly to those families. We're a 99% volunteer organization. And um, 
We just, um, we depend on people like you to partner with us. So the way that you can get involved is, um, there's two ways. If you're an individual and you just want to get involved, there's a sign-up sheet out there to go on our website, um, to go on our email, just to leave your email to be part of our email list. Um, also, there are cards back there where you can see our website. Our website is simple www.gratefulgatherings.org and you just put your email in there and then what you will get from us is the stories of the families we're helping and the needs that they have and if you want to donate or if you want to volunteer you can just sign up there we have chapters in oakland lafayette moraga danville so you can sign up just for the oakland one or you can sign up for the other ones as well if you'd like um, and that's if you want to help as an individual. The other thing is, is we're always looking for communities to step up and say, we'd like to be a chapter. So, for example, if there was someone here who wanted to be a lead and really take this on, um, we would train them in how this community could do their own gatherings. And you would do at least two a year. Um, we have other chapters who do four a year. Um, and we would help you, and you would have our trucking service and all of our resources, um, but you would do your own families yourself. Um, so that's, that's also another opportunity to help. But um, as I said, this is a God mission. He is, he is pushing us through. He puts the families in front of us that need us at that moment. Um, can't tell you how many families have said, you know, I, thought, I prayed my last prayer, you know, that we, could, we would get help, and then suddenly we're there. And I just think it's all of us working together with him and with his purposes. And we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your support. And... Um, as I said, there's cards in the back. There's a place to sign up your email in the back. If you have any questions, um, please feel free to ask me. And thank you again. Thank you so <laughs> please take an opportunity to speak with her afterwards and to sign up if you're interested in this program. One other mission activity. Tomorrow, Reverend Scott Kale is taking a group of our young people on a mission trip to Malawi. And uh, Michael Barber and I will be accompanying them. We're going to be visiting our sister church there, Kafita, and the Encoma Hospital, the School for the Blind, and the um, orphanage there. So keep us in your thoughts and prayers for safe travels.
scripture lesson today, the first comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now we're going to skip over to the 11th chapter, and uh, just by way of explanation, Paul sounds very defensive in this, what we're going to read right here, and almost uh, arrogant. But you have to understand, he was under constant attack by others. Remember, he's the only apostle that was not chosen by Jesus. He never met Jesus. So people were constantly questioning his authority to be an apostle. And it's in response to that kind of questioning that he writes these words. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whenever anyone dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from those things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I do not lie. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. You know, uh, sportscasters during the halftime of a football game, they have to figure out all kinds of things to talk about to uh, fill the time there, give the players some time to rest. And uh, one time I remember they were talking, the topic was, who's the greatest rusher ever in the NFL? The greatest running back. And they were going through different ones, and they came to Walter Payton who was uh, second uh, most yards gained, a long career, averaged 4.6 yards per carry. 
And um, one of the guys said to him, you know, in his career total, he rushed over nine miles. And the other guy said, yeah, and every 4.6 yards, somebody knocked him down. You ever felt like uh, that was your life? You're running along and boom, something comes into your life and just knocks you down. And you get up and you start going again and something else comes, knocks you down. Maybe you felt that like that physically, that just as you recovered from one problem, another one came. Or emotionally or a variety of ways. In fact, you could really say, literally, that life itself is a series of problems to be solved. You solve one and then you move on and another one comes. You solve one and you move on and another one comes. I don't know of any people who've been able to go through their life without having suffering. And our hope is to be knocked down but not knocked out. There's a lot to learn in life. And the people that learn it best are those who graduate from the University of Adversity. Other than Jesus, my big hero in uh, the, the faith in the Bible is Paul. Not because he was a martyr, because, you know, he did die a martyr. Uh, right after he wrote these, these letters, he was taken outside of the walls of the city of Rome and he was beheaded. But really what impresses me about Paul is his life. You know, when he converted and he became a Christian, all of his Jewish friends hated him. But then when he became a Christian, the Christians, because he had persecuted Christians, suspected him. And then when he started preaching and allowing Gentiles into the faith, all those that didn't like that, they didn't like him either. So he had constant uh, opposition in his life. And he dealt with all of these different adversities over and over. And so we we have this catalog of things that that happened. Overworked, scourged, five times he had 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, three times shipwrecked, adrift at sea, all these dangers. He went on, and that's why he could write in that passage that we read, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. There's a modern translation of that by J.B. Phillips. I like it. Same verse. It says this. We are handicapped on all sides, but we are never frustrated. We are puzzled, but never in despair. We are persecuted, but we never have to stand alone. We are knocked down, but we are not knocked out. That's the way that we take it. It's a long road. Paul graduated He had a Ph.D., actually, from the University of Adversity. Napoleon wrote a book for his officers, a a manual. It was called The Maxims of War. He listed 78 principles, and when you read them, it's kind of amazing how the principles for fighting a successful war are very similar to the principles for living a successful life. There's a lot of overlap there. I've always considered courage to be the first qualification of a good soldier. But Napoleon did not think so. In fact, in the 58th Maxim, he wrote this. The first qualification of a soldier is fortitude under fatigue and privation. Courage is only the second qualification. Poverty and want are the best school for a soldier. 
Because without fortitude to survive the hardships of just getting to the battlefield, the marching, the weather, all of that, without fortitude to survive that, one seldom gets to the time and place where courage is required. One must survive to arrive at the field of battle where courage becomes the primary value. Fortitude is sticking it out, keeping going, not quitting. And for many people, there's not one decisive battle in their life that they fight. It's just a series of small skirmishes along the way. And to have the fortitude, to have whatever problem it is that comes into your life and hits you hard, to have the fortitude to keep on going, to be knocked down, but not knocked out. I see people all the time uh, who are living with slow-moving tragedy in their life. They're people of great courage. They're people that are dragging sick and crippled bodies from one place to the other. They, they keep on going, even though it's difficult to move and to get out, but they don't let it stop them. They keep on going. I see people juggling emotional wounds and family problems, and they try to keep from falling apart. People who can't find work and keep on going. People whose children have gone off on the wrong track, but they don't give up on them. They keep on. The list is endless. And when you see people managing hardships in their life, just say, there goes a good soldier. There goes a really, really good soldier. The first virtue is fortitude. Courage comes next. You know, we don't seek out these difficulties. It's not like we look for them so that we can become stronger. They just happen. They just come along in life. Read the story of uh, President John Kennedy. Uh, he was a, a war hero in World War II. He was the captain of this boat, PT-109, and he was attacked, and he ended up saving some of his sailors uh, in a very heroic kind of a way. And, uh, and then later on, there's a story about how this boy who heard all about him got a chance to meet him one day. And he said, President Kennedy, how did you get to be a war hero? And he said, it was really easy. They sank my boat. You don't seek these things out. They just come along and you respond to them, to these difficulties, these problems. One of the people that's a hero to me uh, is a guy named Ben Weyer. He was a Presbyterian missionary. Don knew him as well as I did because he taught at the seminary that we went to. He was taken hostage in Lebanon along with Terry Waite. And uh, for a couple of years, he was literally in solitary confinement, chained to a radiator in a room. And uh, he managed to get through that experience and return to a, a wonderful, wonderful life here. And he wrote a book about that experience, and here's what he wrote. When I look back on that time that I was a hostage, I realize now that that was the most growing, positive time in my life in terms of my character. No, I'd never want to do it again. But I grew so much from that time of adversity. I learned about myself. I drew closer to God. Being a hostage actually made me a better person. Made me a better person. And so today I just want to give a few comments as the way, to the way that we can take this adversity in our life and actually have it turn out to make us better people, stronger people. The first thing that I would advise when you come across these adversities is avoid self-pity. 
You know, self-pity is the most addictive, destructive, and common behavior in the face of adversity. It is a common coping mechanism because it feels so good, and there's such an abundant supply, we never run out. I remember when my girls were small, and one of them would come running up to me with this, this anguished look on their face, in, and Mackenzie would say, Daddy, Shelby hit me! And there was such joy underneath the anguish. There was such joy in being a victim. It felt so good to be a victim, to be aggrieved and have something to complain about. But in the long run, self-pity will do to your spirit what drugs do to your mind and body. Uh, Avoid self-pity. Victor Hugo, the great novelist, uh, was exiled from his homeland of France for 18 years. It was the most painful thing in his life because he loved France. Here he was, the royal dramatist, but because of the political shift in the country, he had to flee and to live on one of the small islands of the English Channel, the Channel Islands. He lived there for 18 years. And every night at sunset, he would climb up to a bluff overlooking the sea. He would look out toward his beloved France. He would say his prayers and meditations. Then he would bend down and take a stone and throw it into the sea. One day, the children who saw this behavior asked him, Why do you throw a stone into the sea? He said, it's not a stone, children. It's my self-pity. I am throwing my self-pity into the sea. In those 18 years that he was in exile, he wrote his greatest novels. It was there on that little island that he wrote Les Miserables. It was there on that little island that he wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame. He didn't allow self-pity to take away his spirit. You know, the only way that Nelson Mandela could have walked out of that jail cell after 27 years and not be consumed with anger and rage toward the people who had put him there, the only way that he could walk out with love in his heart was because he failed to give in to self-pity in his life. Second suggestion I would have is to adopt the attitude that no defeat is final unless you believe long as you won't allow it to be in your mind. The historian Robert Massey talks about William of Orange, who later became king of England uh, with Mary, his queen. But while he was head of the House of Orange, it was said of him that his talent was not in winning battles, for he was frequently beaten. His talent was in surviving defeat. When Louis XIV, the king of France, was on the verge of crushing Holland, it was to the House of Orange that the Hollanders instinctively turned. And so little short, William of Orange seemed indifferent to fatigue, was oblivious to fear. He ordered the most incredible solution to this siege that was happening to Amsterdam. He ordered them to cut the dikes. And the water rushed in, and Amsterdam became an island. And uh, the, uh, the French army could only look on in frustration. For they had no boats with which to achieve the victory, which was almost within reach. William did not win the battle, but he saved Amsterdam, and he lived to fight another day. That kind of spirit is admirable. I've heard the story of a, of a kid who had that spirit. He was a high school senior, and he was in the process of applying for colleges, sending his applications in, and he wasn't getting anywhere. 
So he wrote back, Dear admissions officer, I am in receipt of your rejection of my application. As much as I would like to accommodate you, I find I cannot accept it. I have already received four rejections from other colleges, and this number is, in fact, over my limit. Therefore, I must reject your rejection, and as much as this might inconvenience you, I expect to appear for classes on September 18th. I don't know if I'd recommend that as a way to get into college, but I like the spirit of the guy. I like it. In fact, if I was that admissions officer, I might reconsider that guy. We have to understand that, thirdly, uh, the way that we get through the adversities in our life is by not doing it alone. We don't go through tough times alone. Don't try to be stoic. Don't try to keep it to yourself. Use the people that are around you, your neighbors, your friends, your family, your church family. Use those people to get through these tough times. We need each other in, in that sort of a way. You know, when you go to Sequoia National Park and the, the ranger gives you the guided tour, they point out an interesting fact. These huge, giant sequoia trees have very shallow roots. And you think, what? How in the world can a tree that tall not have a deep root to keep it from blowing over in the wind? But they don't. They have shallow roots that grow, instead of down, they grow out. And sequoias always grow together in a grove. They don't grow individually. And the roots spread out, and they intertwine with the roots of the other trees. So they're all connected together underneath the ground so that when the wind comes, the sequoias hold each other up. That's how we are to be as God's people, to hold each other up during times of adversity. And the last thing I want you to remember during these tough times is that when it comes down to the end, remember, God promises to be with us through the difficult times in our life. No, God doesn't protect us. He doesn't keep us from experiencing difficulties, troubles, or problems. That's never been part of the promise. The promise is, I will be with you as you go through those times. I will be with you. You can feel my presence, my courage, my love, and my support. You can do all those things because you're not alone. I am with you at this time. There's a wonderful gospel song that I've always loved by Reverend James Cleveland. It's called No Ways Tired. And I leave you with this. It says, I don't feel no ways tired. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me the road would be easy. But I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. No, I don't believe he brought me this far.
and sisters, welcome to the glorious feast of the people of God. The Bible tells us that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom of God. We also hear a story on the day of resurrection. We hear in Luke's gospel that Jesus was walking, the risen Christ, with a couple of his disciples on a road to a town called Emmaus. They walked for a long time and they didn't know who he was. They couldn't recognize him. And then finally they sat down together and they shared a meal. And as he broke the bread with them, they recognized who he was. And then they knew that Jesus Christ was with them. May that also be the case for us today. All of you are welcome to be here. No matter who you are, what you've done, what path you've come to this place, the path that you feel that you're on, God is here right now by the Holy Spirit to meet you in Jesus Christ in these ordinary elements of bread and of wine and with these ordinary people here and throughout the world. All are welcome at this table. Let's join together in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. And lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks, praise for who you are, that you've called us to be here. And we say with the entire company of angels and saints in heaven and on earth, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your splendor. All glory be to you, O Lord, most high. And O Lord, most high, come and be with us now in this low place, this everyday place, with all of us here together gathered in one place. As those disciples were gathered so long ago in Jerusalem, they received your Holy Spirit and knew the presence of Christ. May we also in this place receive your Holy Spirit and know the presence of Christ in the body and in the blood. For we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Hear now the words of institution of our Lord's Supper. On the night of his betrayal and his arrest, our Lord Jesus was at table with his disciples in that place in Jerusalem we call the upper room. He took the bread that was before them after supper and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, do it remembering me. Same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, shed for all of you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink of this, do it remembering me. And so every time we eat bread and drink from the cup together, wherever we are, with, whom, with whomever we are, we are proclaiming the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and looking forward, anticipating, that time when all of God's children will gather together around one table in the kingdom of God for the meal that's been prepared. Now let's gather together now, or as we are gathered together, let's join our voices together and pray the prayer our Lord has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We'll receive the elements of communion by what's called intinction. So if you'll come down the center aisle as the ushers guide you, you come down, you tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and then return to the pew by the side aisle. So now come for all is made ready, the gifts of God for the people of God.
writing Psalm 23 for me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepareth table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. President Charlie Nooney to uh, start off our meeting here. Shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. 